How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. And as we sort of mentioned at the end of yesterday's episode, we've kind of recorded enough for two podcasts, so we stretched out over two days. So this is the second part of our conversation about things we've been thinking about, things we're looking at for the offseason, things that we think will probably be relevant as the this offseason goes forward. So just stuff that we're kind of starting to think about and wanted you guys to think about. So here's the second part of our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Something I read earlier this week that, that I thought was interesting, Frank, was a look at some of the top lead guards in the 2017 NBA draft written by Colswicker um, that was over at, I, I believe is the step back, over at Fansided uh, that our good friend Ian Levy runs. And... I thought it was interesting, not because the Bucks are going to be able to get any of the top lead guards in the 2017 NBA draft without making some sort of trade to trade up. Um, and again, we'll have a bunch more draft topics. And again, we're kind of just bouncing around. But in in there, it talked about how off the dribble shooting is so important for any point guard prospect. And it, since it's been something we've been talking about recently, and uh, I know last week on Twitter I mentioned how I thought the Bucks point guards were probably bottom five in the league, bottom three in the league, and I, I, I don't think they're as bad as bottom one, but they're, they're definitely in the bottom five, and I feel confident about that. And when I said that, I think a lot of people maybe thought that was a little hot takey, had a bit of a visceral reaction to it. And I I don't know, it it feels about right. And I think one of the biggest things is that their two guys in Brogdon and Delhi don't really do much of any off the dribble shooting. And what they do off the dribble is floaters and uh, slow, slowly released, often contested shots. Like they just don't find a way to get anything off the dribble as far as pull-ups go. And again, when you looked at the list and the work that Cole did, uh, he mentioned how some of the, the most elite point guards in the league are the guys that can really be effective off the dribble, shooting pull-ups, whether those are threes like a guy like Dame Lillard or those are pull-up jumpers like a guy like Chris Paul. So I thought it was really interesting. It made me think of the Bucks. And I have to find who it was on Twitter, but someone tweeted at me and said that it, from a team ranking perspective that the Bucks were, I believe, 30th in attempts, so dead last in pull-up jumper attempts this season, and 25th in effective field goal percentage on their pull-ups, which to me is not really all that surprising when you watch the Bucks. That feels... It feels very right. Um, and it was Ethan Fox that tweeted at me. Thank you for doing my research for me, Ethan. Um, but 
yeah, Bucks were 30th in pull-up attempts, 25th in effective field goal percentage, and I don't necessarily think I, I'm all that worried about them being 30th in pull-up attempts, um, but the effective field goal percentage, like that, you have to have some off-the-dribble pull-up threats in your roster, on your roster, and it doesn't even have to be the point guard position. It, it could be elsewhere, but you have to have guys that can have some volume and be efficient because that is where teams will start to go over pick and rolls, and that's when pick and rolls become more dangerous, and the Bucks just don't really don't really have a guy like that. And just going forward, to me, it, it seems like the obvious hole with this Bucks roster is, is the point guard spot. Yeah, let me give you a, a really difficult quiz here, Eric. Can you tell me which team finished dead last in three-pointers off of three to six dribbles? Just take a wild guess. Wild guess, Eric. The Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks. They were 14 of 71 this season, 19.7% uh, in dri- shot, three-pointers shot when, when the dribbler had taken three to six dribbles. That's dead last in both total number of makes as well as percentage. That sounds right. They were also tied for dead last in shots, uh, three-pointers made after uh, seven-plus dribbles. Uh, they hit 10 of those all season. And they were second to last in percentage. And again, you know, you don't really want a possession that ends with a guy dribbling a bunch and then pulling up for a three. Like, that's not, like, the goal of a possession. But those having those guys, you know, having the Lou Williams guy, you know, having those guys. I mean, I I, I was picking Lou Williams is a good example because he's not a superstar, right? I mean, like, yeah, like having... Steph Curry, well, that that's that's a pretty good thing to to have, right? Nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna question that. But but even having these kind of like guys off the bench um, who can be that kind of spark pump guy, you know, that that is something that puts pressures on the defense the way that that Adele or Brogdon can't because you can just go under pick and rolls with them because even though they both shoot very respectable percentages from three. You know, we've talked about it. they just don't get shots up, and I think there was that uh, you wouldn't. I guess yep. you probably wouldn't have seen it because you were at Game Six and not watching on TV. But you know, there was a mic'd up se- se- a session with Jason Kidd, and I'm trying to remember who he was talking to. It might have been Brogdon. I think it was Brogdon, and he just told me he was like, "You got to shoot the ball. Like you can't. You know, you can't just hold on. You need to take the shot." Yeah. And and we've kind of you know, uttered that phrase for, for, you know, many times this year. Um, and, and again, some of it is like, well, they're just not aggressive enough. I don't know if the Bucks coaches are typically as, as demonstrative in telling guys to shoot threes. Um, they wildly increased their three point attempts this year, which was really good to see, but they're still not a team that shoots many threes. So they should be shooting even more. And that I think speaks to sort of the whole, like, what is Jason Kidd's philosophy? Does he kind of, you know, get, the you know the the big picture of how the league is changing blah 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 um yep. so there's a lot of those factors that kind of kind of play in this and and yeah i mean you look at the bucks roster right if you if you go up and down the bucks roster and i think this is a really interesting thing from a team construction standpoint which plays into their decisions about greg monroe it plays into their draft um you know you can kind of go up and down the roster and you look at I mean, you start with the forward spots right i mean you've got Giannis who effectively matches up against power forwards most nights, right? And whether he's whether he's a point forward or not, um, he's typically guarding other teams' power forwards. And yep. he's, you know, at this point, I mean, who's who's a better NBA power forward, if we want to call him that? Um, and I, again, I don't want to, like, hem him in because he can play small forward, obviously, as well. He does a lot of point guardy stuff on offense. Um, but I don't know. How many, how many better power forwards are there in the NBA, like, 
I, I don't know. Anthony Davis is in the discussion. Who am I missing? I'm, I got to be missing some really obvious guys. Mm, I mean, none nope. of the MVP candidates, right? They're all wings nope. and guards. There, there literally isn't. Yeah, unless you call like there's, LeBron, there's unless not. you call LeBron a power forward, which obviously he plays there for a bit. But, um, but basically, you have the league's co-best along with Anthony Davis, or whatever you want to call it. You have an elite um, combo forward uh, in Giannis. You have Chris Middleton who can play at the three. You have Jabari who's sort of a three-four hybrid if he's healthy. Uh, and, you know, and then you've got kind of, I mean, we'll see what happens um, with them moving forward. But, you know, you've got Toledovich, who's kind of a, you know, stretch four. You've got Beasley, who's that combo uh, kind of forward type guy who who could be back as well. There, I mean, there are a lot of pieces there, right? I mean, there, there's nobody who's Giannis. I, you know, the, you're not going to bring up off the bench a guy who's anywhere close to Giannis. But, you know, you've got to do a couple different options there with, with especially if Jabari's healthy. And at the big spots, it's interesting, right? Because, I mean... Unfortunately, the Bucks have been more of a volume play at center coming into the season. Um, they just had a lot of centers. They didn't necessarily have any that you felt great about. Um, <laughs> that is never a good is, way to describe a position. Is, like, you know, we're just going to throw a lot of bodies at it. See what happens. I mean, we can play two centers. We can play six guys, right? It's like two forwards, two guards, two centers, right? Because we got a lot of them. Um, no, unfortunately, that's not the way it works. But, uh, but I think one of the big positives of this season was that a hierarchy – did I think clearly form over the course of the season, and even though Thon Maker wasn't playing tons of minutes or even a modest amount of minutes for for long stretches during the regular season, um, I think we saw during the in the playoffs that you know as inconsistent as he might be, as much as he might have a lot of work to do on both ends, especially you know the offensive end, um, he is a guy that that just man his skill set if it's realized and again he's got to be a center don't talk to me about making thon a stretch four because it just neuters Ugh. it just completely neuters his value like he's not a stretch he's not a real stretch four like Toledovich is a stretch four because he'll shoot from 30 feet out thon is like a slow wind up only if he's guarding by, by centers type type stretch guy and his mobility if you can get away with that on the on the defensive boards his mobility i mean we saw it against the raptors like being able to like put him in a one five pick and roll and switch and you know, mm-hmm. hedge and recover. I mean, that's just such a great weapon, which again, you already have basically the best like hedge and recover four man in Giannis. <laughs> so like Correct. you got that, you got that position solved. Okay. Like don't worry. Don't try to put any more by. Exactly. Out. Don't we, worry about, it's fine. Yeah, don't worry about filling up more than like, you know, 12 minutes of, uh, of power forward minutes um, on defense a, year, a, a game. And, and well, you could, you could probably play Thon maybe there a little bit, but I think for the most part, you know, split the minutes between Monroe and Maker next year if they're both back and um, and kind of go from there. But but anyway, so I mean, it, it it's not necessarily that the Bucks have the, the most talented center position or anything like that, but they have kind of the young, upside-y, defensive, mobile, stretch-the-floor-a-bit guy who's everybody's really excited about. And, you know, you don't want to, I think, you know, you're not going to go and, like, try to figure out how to replace Thon Maker. You're Hopefully you can figure out a way to continue to get him more and more minutes. And then you got Greg Monroe, who was one of the best six men in, in the league this year. And obviously the team was great with him on the court. So yes, it does leave, hmm, what position could the Bucks use some help in? It's it's obviously the guard spot. And of course, they could help the shooting guard spot if they move Chris Middleton back to more of a two spot next year. If he's you know healthy, mm-hmm. maybe feeling a little bit more limber. And especially if Jabari Parker came back and you needed to find more minutes at the forward spots for Jabari and, and move Chris down a spot to the two, then bringing Chris back to the two where he has played with both Jabari and Giannis, that could make a lot of sense. But, um, but for the most part, yeah, I mean, you got some guys who can spot up in Tony Snell. Uh, 
Delavadova if he's got a, a time to to you know set up that revolutionary warm musket of of a three point shot. <laughs> uh, he can make some threes. Brogdon can make some threes, but they're not going to make him in a hurry. And no. it's it's tough. It, it's tough when given the way the league has evolved, it's tough when basically all your good players are wings and and big men, right? Like when you think about your really core like lock it in type starting players, like they're not really, you know, guards that that are filling it up off the dribble. And Giannis is a complete freak and he's like, you know, um the trump card for for everything in a lot of ways, but you're going to But even him, like you don't want to put him in a bunch of pick and rolls. We talked about yeah, this a yeah, bunch absolutely. this year. Like he's the screener, he, right? Can't... He's not the he's he's more of the screener rather than the than the guy handling it. And and that's not to say he can. Like I obviously wrote a, a thousand some words about elbow gap. Like he you can put him in a bunch of different things and, and I had this conversation with someone on Twitter today that he was saying, "Well, well let's find the the Bucks should go out and find a 3 or a 4 and then make Giannis the point guard full time." And I was like, Okay, but then Giannis needs to get a lot better at a lot of point guard things. And again, I, we talked with Ian Levy about it during our season preview. And man, that's one heck of a callback. That's crazy that it was so long ago. But he was saying that if you say he's a point guard and only play him at point guard, then those are the things he has to get good at. And then you don't get to use those other things as much. And uh, again, as much as a lot of people may always want to see a spread pick and roll offense and bunch of shooters on the floor and Giannis just running pick and rolls and being the playmaker off that, like he's not particularly good at those things at this point. Like he he is much better when you can get him some catches at the elbow, when you can get him some catches in the post, when you can put him in pick and rolls. Sometimes, like you want to be able to use him as that weapon. And moving him to point guard doesn't allow you to do that. But when it comes to the playoffs, you have to be able to find ways. You have to find more ways to score. And I think that was something that you you were kind of bludgeoned with as you watched the Bucks play the Raptors. That, okay, the way the Raptors are scoring is always going to be pick and roll. And you know what? They struggled because the Bucks knew that. The Bucks knew that, okay... All the Raptors are going to try to do is pick and roll us to death, and if we can but get these traps. And again, by the end of the series, the Raptors weren't struggling with it. But the fact that the Bucks could kind of slow them down for a stretch and have them put up one of the worst offensive ratings in the first round of the playoffs suggests that, okay, you need to have a, a varied a varied approach offensively. You need to be able to do different things. And obviously the Bucks and Raptors are two very different teams in the way that they approach the offensive side of the ball. But both of them struggle with essentially the same core issue. They don't score in a variety of ways. They just score in very simple ways and in the very similar ways over and over again. And in a, in a playoff series, you see each other so much that you understand all of your core sets and you have to be able to do other things. And, with the Bucks, that there was just nothing from that point guard position. There was going to be nothing from really pick and roll play. There was there was going to be little from spot up play. It was going to be the Bucks were going to stick it into the post, see if they could find a mismatch, and then try to get some ball movement off that. And uh, for the Bucks, that you have to find other ways to create that ball movement. You have to find other ways to create that offense. And yeah, not not being able to have a pick and I guess a consistent pick and roll option, a consistent pick and roll action, you just don't kind of have 
something that's almost at the base of every NBA offense at this point. So you're just taking away a, a total, uh, a huge part of most NBA offenses. So the Bucks really do kind of need to figure that out, and uh, the easiest way to do it is to, to upgrade the point guard position. So I hadn't been planning to ask you this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I'll put you on the spot. Let's say Tony Snell gets, I don't know, pick pick, a, pick whatever number you, you don't want to match for Tony Snell, right? Like if Tony Snell got offered four years, 60 million, I, I'd pass. I, I'd pass. You know, like I, I just, I, I just think, you know, he, he just, again, he, he, it's kind of like it. I'll take my, I'll take my chance with, with Rashad Vaughn. Well, I, well, so here's, here's my follow up. So, um, we talk about the the Bucks need to improve at the point guard spot, and and to me, part of the equation might be if Tony Snell gets some monstrous deal that you don't say, you know what, I just don't think we can afford to do that. But well, we've got Malcolm Brogdon over here, who most people assume would probably be more of a shooting guard anyway, and he's got the same or longer wingspan as Tony Snell, and he's stronger, and he's cheaper <laughs> and and we know jason kidd likes to have multiple you know ball handlers on the court at all times um so maybe malcolm brogdon doesn't necessarily have to be your starting shooting guard but he can be part of that equation um and maybe you then add a, another point guard to the mix and you know delvadova is sort of your you know 15 20 minute backup and brogdon splits time between you know multiple spots something like that um that might be one solution because to be honest like i really don't want to lose tony snell I would like to keep Tony Snell, but I have no idea what, you know, again, it's almost like just the Brooklyn Nets might do something crazy. And that's just sort of like what we're all kind of nervous about. Um, <laughs> but, but that might be the question. Cause I think we all want to, we all want to find a way to, 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 for Malcolm Brogdon to be a really good player and make a big impact for this team. Um, but I don't know, you know, it, that doesn't mean it has to be as a starting point guard. Right. And, and who knows? Maybe it ends up being as as a backup shooting guard. Maybe it ends up being as a, both a backup point guard and shooting guard. But um, that's one of the nice things about Malcolm Brogdon is that he can do a number of things. Unfortunately, one thing he can't do is you know just pop, pull up and as teams go under screens, just kill them with with long threes. Uh, and you know as we watch the playoffs, as you watch some of these teams, um, I'm watching. You know I think we're both watching as we record this the Rockets murdering the Spurs by thirty some points. Um, you know the 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 sort of groundbound non three point shooting guards um, that that that's that's tough to pull off. Brogdon hopefully will continue to to you know kind of improve as a slasher. Will continue to improve as a shooter. He obviously made a good percentage of threes this year, um, but he's also not like like a prototype, especially offensively. Defensively, he's really interesting because of his size and switchability. Um, but I, I do think it's a really interesting kind of situation the Bucks may find themselves in this summer if if again if they do get some kind of nuclear offer for for Tony Snell you said something about okay well maybe Brogdon isn't most valuable at point guard or you said it some other way but essentially the idea is that okay maybe he isn't most valuable as a starting point guard in the NBA and I would say I, I don't even need the maybe like, like I don't think he is the the point guard position is so unbelievably strong this season that I I this season and and kind of in this era that I mean going to the top twenty point guards in the league all those guys you would say are above average basketball players like they are they're above average but 
that kind of throws off the whole scale. When when there's 20 that are above average and there's 30 teams, like what what are we talking about here? So when you find yourself having a starter who is maybe in the bottom five of the league, that's a huge gap. And if he certainly is in that bottom five, maybe it is more valuable that he can play a couple different positions. He can help out the bench. He can help out the starters on certain nights. He can he can just do a lot of things. And and I think that probably is where his value is that he will be on a rookie contract and he can do a lot of those things. And like you said, he does shoot a high uh, percentage from three. He does switch a number of positions. Like there's a ton of super valuable things there those things just might not be super valuable in this era of NBA point guards. So, um, yeah, I do think that, and I'm sure we are going to talk about it ad nauseum this summer, but, man, Tony Snell is is going to be fascinating. And, and I think we've both kind of said that we need to maybe spend a whole podcast on it and break down exactly where he could go, who would be interested, how much they'd be willing to pay, how much they could pay, all those things. But yeah, that that really could kind of change the trajectory of this Bucks team and kind of the decision they make there and uh, how capped out they are going forward. And uh, that... <laughs> I would say that's the most interesting decision of the summer, but then they have the early extension decision on Jabari and what they want to do there. They have whether or not Greg Monroe opts in or out. The, just going down the line, there is so many things this summer that I think make it a, a fascinating offseason for the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, and I think the thing with Snell is your margin of error for overpaying him, I think, increases if you are able to you know, take a John Henson and just move on, right? And, and you know, John Henson or Toledovich or Del Vadova, um, if you want to add another point guard, then, you know, keeping all those guys around uh, is harder, right? I mean, just cap-wise, there just isn't as much flexibility. You're just, you can't go sign yeah. Drew Holiday if you're keeping all these guys in the roster. You can't get Jeff Teague or George Hill, and I don't know if they should necessarily have the ambitions of getting one of those guys because realistically, they are Having Giannis and his playmaking, having Chris Middleton and some of the playmaking he can do, um, I think it does enable you to think a little bit differently than you might otherwise mm-hmm. in terms of the the job requirements of your point guard. And you know, again, this is kind of a point I made last year when when they signed Del Vadova. This this is probably not a team that you know if you talk about allocating their scarce cap resources. One of the benefits of having a guy like Giannis and Chris is that you get a lot of your playmaking from your forward spots. And that's weird and different. Uh, and it doesn't mean that you don't want you know a point guard who can make plays and, and shoot and those good things. But as we saw this year, I mean, the Bucks had an above-average offense with, with arguably one of the worst yep. point guard positions in the league, right, in terms of depth. And that speaks to, to the value of those other guys. And obviously, there's probably still other things tactically they could be doing to become even better. So... Um, so it's really interesting. And I think on the topic of Snell, um, sort of similar. If you want to give Snell a ton of money, or if you want to, you know, try to find somehow a way to to add um, a, a free agent point guard, you know, again, we're not going to be talking about probably even a Jeff Teague type guy. Those guys are probably also going to be too much money. You know, if if you want to go add a point guard, I don't know. Maybe you should probably be thinking more Patty Mills than Chris Paul. Okay, <laughs> like in practicality, I think that's probably more realistic. Um, in terms of what what could be out there but those 
This yeah. guy, Patty Mills, isn't going to be for four million a year. I mean, I assume that he's going to get deli money too from somebody. So um, the point guard crop this year is um, top heavy. Let's yeah. say. Um, uh, I, there are like four or five very intriguing, very good point guards, and then there is um, I, I don't know, not not much, nothing. Right. Um, like it, it's very top heavy, and uh, all the cap gymnastics we we we've already talked about um, since off season started. That's kind of where that all becomes very interesting because there, there's a number of guys. Uh, that we have to kind of figure out values on, but I think we will save that for another day. One, one, one. Can I make one more, one more point? We were kind of alluding to it, but and we talked about this last year, and it and it fits in the Tony Snell discussion. A year ago, I was saying, you know, and I forget trying to remember who the other person was. Oh, it was Bismack Biombo and Kent Bazemore, and we talked about Bismack Biombo and Kent Bazemore, who were kind of the darlings of. You know, they, they, I don't, and I can't, Biombo had that big playoff series against the Heat um, when Valanchunas got, got hurt and probably earned himself a ton of money there. But I mean, he was generally good during the regular season in Toronto as well. Um, Baysmore, you know, had a good season overall for the Hawks. Um, but both those guys, I remember going in the summer thinking, you know what? You want to sign those guys to the contract they got last year, not the contract they're getting. Well, that summer, right? <laughs> that, that's when yep. you want Ken Bazemore and Bismack Biombo. And I think, sure enough, both guys were disappointing where they were, right? And maybe, you know, Biombo's situation might have been a bit more circumstantial based on, you know, Orlando just being a shit show. But, um, but Bazemore was a disappointment, you know? Like, the Bucks, by all accounts, he was their number one target. Like, would you rather have Ken Bazemore on a $70 million deal? Or would you rather have Toledovich and Delavidova getting, you know, whatever it is they're, they're owed? together 60 some or whatever right i mean i'm sure a lot of people would look at their contracts and say that's not good value but you know is Bazemore good value is bismack biombo good value is you know would each one more have been way better than than matthew delvadova if you had signed him instead for the same amount of money you know i mean you're 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 choosing um you know it's kind of the opposite of choosing between your having to choose between your children you know you're choosing between i don't know the kids that you know vandalize your 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 yard or something like that right like <laughs> it's there's not it's, it's free agency that's what i'm gonna say i think it highlights that free agent like the free agent game is not a super fun right. one it is not a it's not a game that I, I think so often we think about free agent winners and who is able to sign this guy and who's able to make a big splash and man i don't know if you want to be that team jumping in that pool Cause it's probably full of pee. Like it's just like it's just not a pool you want to jump in. And so often you kind of look back on these contracts and think like, man, this is this is really crippling, and this is not going to be good for us going forward. And yeah, like you said, um, obviously the the Del- Vadova and Tladovich contracts leave a whole lot to be desired. Like there, there's no doubt from their performances this year that those two leave plenty to be desired but again it's pretty manageable for the years that they were signed to for the money that they were signed to um and and it's a conversation i've had with a bunch of people on twitter like oh i think you could probably get rid of it if you if you really wanted to just shed that contract i think someone would be willing to take on delvadova i think someone would be willing to take on toledovich and i i tend to probably agree like you probably can like 
it's probably not going to be a great deal. Um, but yeah, you, I think you could probably move those contracts if you really need to. Baysmore's deal, I don't know if you can move that. Like, so I, I don't know. It, it's it's interesting because in the off season you want to be excited about something, you want to talk about something, and free agency is a major part of that. And uh, like I'm I'm definitely guilty of it. We we've spent lots of time talking about free agency, and we've done free agent previews. We've written free agent previews at Brew Hoop. We, we've spent a, a lot a lot of man hours discussing free agency because it is exciting it brings on new possibilities it makes you think of what your team could possibly be but ultimately ultimately it's normally not the best thing for your team uh to win a summer it's not the best for them to go out and sign the best players so um i think that is something also that is going to be very important this offseason for bucks fans to remember that um free agency is exciting but ultimately maybe not the the best place for your team to be. Yeah, agreed. And and you know, for better or worse, it doesn't look like the Bucks are going to have that much money to spend this summer anyway. Um but uh I think we'll start to see. So I guess hey, did we did we just uh fill up? I guess we don't need a podcast between now and July 1st. Are we good? Have we done our full our full summer? Yeah, I think summer so. Preview? We're um, we're good. We're done. Yeah, great. Yeah. I, no reason for anyone to come back. Um we probably <laughs> won't record. No, I'm just fine. Uh yeah, the, the, I think I think that just served the goals that I wanted to to kind of serve as a primer for this off season. Obviously, we we are slaves to detail. We love getting deeper and digging um, even further on every topic that we discuss. So we will do lots of that um, as the summer continues. But hopefully this discussion has helped you kind of figure out some of the the more important topics. And I know it spanned two days, but this is kind of the stuff that we wanted to go over just to kind of get a feel for the off season and where we'd be going. So hopefully you, you've kind of gotten that idea. Uh, but that's going to be it for our kind of two-day primer of topics that we're thinking about and trying to prepare for as the summer goes forward. Um, So for Frank Madden, this has been Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you tomorrow, I believe.